each other in the moment As if we'd already known it We stopped to pass go A fateful bend in change road You stood like a sign in the night Through the darkness came your light By the side of the road you called my name I couldn't resist your faithful Chapter 2 I have no clue what Jake Easton looks like, but I know I'm searching for a cowboy. I shift the cumbersome computer bag on my shoulder, shove open the door and slip into a blast of cool air, with June's heat clinging to my skin like an overbearing boyfriend. My heart races, so I take a deep breath while my eyes jet around the small restaurant. I spot him sitting at the sushi bar. He's not wearing the hat, but there's no mistaking a cowboy in a strip mall sushi restaurant smack dab in the middle of some idle Tuesday in L.A. There's also no mistaking the look on the cowboy's face when he first sees me. I'm not sure what he was or wasn't expecting, but I swear the man's jaw drops. He gawks as I offer a lame little princess wave and walk toward him. He attempts to stand, but gravity deems him weak in the knees and pulls him down to the stool. His eyeballs run around like headless chickens, scrutinizing my body as I move. Breasts, midsection, hips, legs, and back up. Sometimes I hate it when men do this overt shit. Sometimes I relish it. Anxiety sucker punches me in the gut when our eyes meet. I reach out my hand in a joke of an effort to be businesslike. Jake Easton, I say, as if I'm reminding him of his own name. Well, Jake Easton looks like a man caught with his dick in his hand. Has this guy never seen a woman before? He jolts forward and cusps my hand in both of his, like he's capturing a butterfly. My hand feels nice in his, and it scares me, so I snatch it back. I raise my eyebrows and curl my lips to curb nervous laughter. You are Jake Easton, aren't you? He glances around the room the only six-foot cowboy amidst a sea of Asian patrons. What? Yes, yes. Of course. He laughs it off, pulls out the bar stool next to him, and tugs me down into it. I couldn't bear to leave my computer in the car, I blurt, allowing my laptop and purse to slide from my shoulder onto the floor in a heap. I wouldn't be able to concentrate on our meeting. It's all I've got to lose. Trust me, I didn't notice your laptop. But I should tell you now, you have far more to lose than you know, darling. He articulates his words deliberately, the gravel in his voice taking on a hint of warning that frightens me. Does he know something I don't know? Feeling exposed, I try to look away, but his steely eyes won't let me. Sexual tension makes me acutely aware of my figure, partly wishing I had dressed less provocatively, yet enjoying the thrill of my stature. I'm empowered by all the yoga I've been practicing lately. When I picked my outfit this morning, I didn't know I would meet up with this Jake Easton character. Depressed over the telemarketing gig, I gussied up to make myself feel better. I got creative with my makeup and gave my blonde waves and I've been swimming in the ocean look that's working for me. My neckline plunges just into the promised land and my hip huggers hug nicely. It's as if I'm seeing myself through Jake's eyes, and I have to admit, I look better than usual. 
which helps boost my low self-esteem. A charged energy zaps between us. I feel wild, yet still caged. It's a foreign sensation that's never occurred in the first moments of meeting a man. It's nice to finally meet you, Sicily. Jake softens his intense gaze with a silly schoolboy grin. (laughs) The pleasure's mine, I manage with a nervous laugh. I break from his stare down, turn my body, and place my napkin in my lap. So, what brings you to L.A. this time around, Jake? I've got a few storage units to go through. My business manager, Rex, needs an inventory of my instruments for insurance purposes. He cocks his head. You know Rex, don't you? My cheeks burn at the mention of Rex's name. Did Rex tell Jake what happened between us? Am I playing with fire? Yes, Rex is the one who referred me to you, I remind Jake, wondering if he has forgotten hiring me a few months back and not returning my calls. Are you a little absent-minded, Jake Easton? No, no, I remember. I just forgot to ask how you know him. He's a friend of my mother's friend, Serene. I've known Serene since I was six. She was the cool babysitter who had no kids of her own and took my sister and me to see the breakfast club when I was ten. Sounds like a memorable experience. My expression transforms on cue as I slip into performance mode. I deepen my voice to mimic John Bender. Have you ever been felt up? I pause for dramatic effect. Pardon? Jake looks pleasurably confused. Over the bra. Under the blouse. Shoes off. Hoping to God your parents don't walk in. Jake nods like a bobblehead. Go on. Over the panties, no bra, blouse unbuttoned, Calvin's in a ball on the front seat past eleven on a school night. Jake appears delighted, so I continue. Come on, sporto, level with me. Did you slip her the hot beef injection? Uh, uh, Jake's eyes bulge. We've been here ten minutes and you've already rendered me speechless. Yeah, it was a real game changer for me too. I mean, the breakfast club. I guess so. My cheeks swelter. What the fuck am I doing? I feel like I'm having an out-of-body experience. What the hell is wrong with me? My display was unprofessional and unnecessary. Why am I showing off for this man? Attempting to act like a normal human being, I tuck my hair neatly behind my ears and clear my throat. Serene was an account manager at Rex's firm when I was growing up. She introduced me to him in February so he could help me find a job in the entertainment industry. You hired me through him, remember? Just because I haven't called in a while doesn't mean I've forgotten you, Jake informs me. And that's especially true now that I've met you. I forgive you. I pat Jake's hand. Rex and Zareen met at the bar she tended with my mother in the 80s. I run the tip of my tongue over my front teeth. It was a dark bar, in a San Fernando Valley bowling alley. A real classy joint. (laughs) That sounds like Rex. Jake gives a spicy chuckle. Or at least the old Rex. He doesn't drink anymore. Right, I confirm. He got smart. In fact, he's inspired me to curtail my drinking. I swallow hard. Or at least try. Jake raises his eyebrows. Interesting intel, he notes, adding under his breath. We'll see. I navigate the conversation back, yearning, for some reason, to intrigue this mysterious man with my story. I grew up in that bowling alley bar, escaping into books by the light of the popcorn machine. 
Jake's eyes flash. Seems my strategy's working. Like he's taking mental notes as the sushi chef approaches and greets Jake as if he's the second coming of Christ. Ah, Jake Easton, welcome back. Your presence honors us. He bows his head, hands in prayer position. Who is this guy? I wonder. Should I know who he is? Jake's obviously a regular. He bows his head and grumbles an introduction that sounds like, Ah, Nato-san. Please meet Sicily Tarantini. It's nice to hear him drawl my full name like that. He makes me feel significant. Nato-san's smile becomes even more welcoming as he bows his head at me. Ah, Sicily, nice to meet you. He looks to Jake. Very beautiful. Very, very beautiful. She is beautiful, isn't she? Jake states with a touch of wistfulness. Thank you, I blush, already fearing the direction we're heading. Oh, why do I always find myself in these predicaments with men? What would you like me to make for you today, beautiful Sicily? Asks Nato-san. My mouth waters for fish, but I'm too self-conscious to order. I look to Jake. You clearly know what you're doing. I'll let you order for me. I trust your judgment. That could be dangerous, Jake says with a look of amusement, like he's learning the rules of a new and enticing game he intends to win. But you asked for it. He grumbles our order in an English-Japanese twist, bowing his head in unison with his words, displaying an in-depth understanding of the culture. I study Jake. He strikes me as a multitude of contradictions. His handsome face is tenderly gruff. He is debonair yet scruffy, with a wild beard, eyebrows, and hair that have not turned gray or even salt and pepper, but have taken on a silvery blonde hue. I suppress a strange impulse to reach out and stroke his beard with my fingertips. What the fuck? Is there anything you won't eat? Jake asks. I look away to deny my sudden surprising seeds of desire. Only uni, I say. Not into sea urchin, huh? Nope. But good Toro makes me melt, I whisper, sucking my bottom lip. What the fuck has gotten into me? I like how that sounds way too much, Jake mutters under his breath. He finishes ordering and turns to me. So I was thinking you could help me go through my instrument inventory. I've got them stored in a warehouse in Burbank. We might have to get a little dirty pulling out old cases and searching for serial numbers. It's sort of boring stuff, you know, but I figure as long as I've got you with me, I may as well take care of some other errands, too. I'm driving my old Land Cruiser now, but I'd like to take her to the shop. I could rent a car, unless you've got one. I have a car. That's no problem. I thought maybe Thursday and Friday we could hit all my errand spots in L.A., but now that you've got this telemarketing gig... Actually, it turns out they're moving offices on Thursday and Friday. Thankfully, their operation is shady as shit, so I'm free. Really? Don't you love it when the universe reorganizes to fit your agenda? Jake laughs. I do. The thought of dialing one more Utah business owner to pawn off this crap production makes me suicidal. My fingers were staging a revolt just about the time you called. So it's official. You'll come work for me. Again. That's music to my ears. I use the phrase innocently. Hey. You're paying the price to stay in the biz. Nothing wrong with that, Jake assures me. If you ask the guy who sweeps up peanuts in the circus tent what he does for a living, he'll tell you he's in show business. You gotta do what you gotta do when you gotta do it, darling. Thanks, Jake. That's nice to hear. I sigh. I can't tell you how happy your call made me. 
He seems to like this. Well, if you're up for it tomorrow, I got a doctor's appointment in Huntington Beach. I'd love the company, and that way I wouldn't have to drive that old truck of mine so far on the freeway. We'd both appreciate it. His invitation reminds me again of my exchange with Rex. Is there a theme developing? It seems awfully personal to go to a doctor's appointment with this older gentleman I've just met. What kind of job is this? I think back to four months ago when a stroke of synchronicity first brought Jake Easton into my life. Tired of watching me struggle, my paternal grandparents, Frank and Vivian Tarantini, had relented to my burning desire to make it as an actress with their idea of a compromise. They offered me an apartment in Malibu and a full ride to law school. On the brink of personal bankruptcy, still I refused to take a job unless it was in showbiz. My dream job was to work for a successful creative type, ideally an A-list movie star, who would discover my artistic merits. Because, obviously, I was so talented, how could I not get discovered? I just needed to get my foot in the door. Copious amounts of marijuana lent to false illusions of grandeur that I, myself, had movie star quality and could benefit from a mentor. Rex had recently connected me with Val Kilmer, but the job had fallen through at the last minute, much to my dismay. We're not putting down your acting, or your writing, honey, Grandma Viv condescended over the phone one day. But we think you'd make a brilliant attorney. I defended my plight as if I was in a court of law fighting for my life. I'm an artist, not a lawyer, I demanded, and took another gulp of my afternoon cocktail to mask my drowning depression. We understand you want to be part of that godforsaken industry, Grandma Viv continued. That's why we've spoken to our dear friend Julie Boyd about you. She's come up with a perfect solution. What's that? I rolled my eyes and a joint. You can be an entertainment attorney. So I can negotiate deals to make other artists' dreams come true? That sounds like a nightmare. All right, all right, Viv plotted. But we want you to at least meet with Julie. She's been in the music industry for decades. She has some insight that might be helpful. But I'm not in the music industry, I reasoned, licking my joint. I'm an actress and a writer. Well, you're not in the entertainment industry at all, are you? Grandma Viv stuck the knife in my heart and twisted. Last we heard of you holding a job, it was in a restaurant, as a hostess. You know what I mean, I whined. I want to be in film and television, not music. Honey... It's all the same. Don't you know that? I lit my joint and took a deep drag. As I entered Julie Boyd's converted garage, I marked my first experience in a recording studio. On the leather couch, I closed my eyes and listened to the lyrics of Julie's songs. I wasn't a musician, nor had I ever considered writing a song, but suddenly I sensed a buried instinct to do just that. Halfway through the meeting, which turned out to be mostly about Julie's musical frustrations and not about my future, it hit me. My grandparents were scheming to get me to understand how unlikely success was in the entertainment industry. More reason to prove them wrong. Yeah, I wrote this song for Glenn Campbell, Julie told me, turning up the volume on her mixing board. He recorded it, but it never made the damn album. Now it's collecting dust with the rest of them. It's always that way. This industry will suck the life out of you if you let it. Later that day, I was driving west on Wilshire Boulevard. 
Pondering my meeting with Julie, I stopped for a red light at Sepulveda and declared out loud to God and the universe at large, songwriting, that's what I want to do next. God knows my grandparents had not intended to inspire me to try my hand at yet another artistic endeavor, but that's what they got for manipulating me. When I arrived home that day, there was a voicemail on my landline. Hi, Cicely, it's Rex. I have a client sitting across from me, and I think you two could be a perfect fit. I promised to help you find a job, and I think this is the one. Call me. I dialed Rex back like he was my last lifeline on who wants to be a millionaire. Hi, Rex, it's Cicely. What you got? His name is Jake Easton. He's a songwriter. Did you say he's a songwriter? I clarified, stunned. Why? Do you know him? Rex asked cautiously. No, no, it's just that I've always dreamed of working for a songwriter. Perfect. He needs someone to transcribe years of lyrics and poetry from his journals for an upcoming album. I told him how good you are with words and that I thought you'd get his writing. You're amazing, Rex. Ah, shucks, that's nice of you to say. I try to make good on my promises, he continued. There will also be some light personal assistant duties, but... I have to warn you, it's a challenge to get inside Jake's head to figure out what the hell he's after. I've been trying for 15 years. Now, sitting next to Jake at the sushi bar, I wonder if those light personal assistant duties include escorting him to his doctor's appointment. Well, I don't know. I waver over the request. Jake cuts me off. We could make a day of it. Maybe get some other work done, too. Eventually, we're going to have to get into the writing. Tomorrow might be a good day to at least talk about it. I take a sip of water as Nato-san puts the finishing touches on our first course. Am I being baited? I know little about this Jake Easton guy. I left him up to mystery instead of researching him on the internet. I picked up one tidbit from an in-awe FedEx guy as he packed up Jake's Stetson hat a couple months back, the one day I worked for him. That dude's so cool. He's an actor and a genuine cowboy. According to Rex, Jake's a songwriter. Other than that, I'm not privy to the details of his credentials, though he reeks of artistic intelligence. He has an instrument inventory, and he wears a cowboy hat. Rex is one of the more prominent business managers in the industry, representing superstars like Spike Lee, Britney Spears, and Jim Carrey. Jake's words... Eventually, we're going to have to get into the writing. Are a turn-on. My career agenda is never far from my mind. Still, this unconventional meeting gives me an uneasy feeling, like this debonair cowboy poses a threat to my psyche. I feel manipulated, even scared. Nato-san sets the first course in front of us. Two cuts each of premium Toro sushi, the fattest the sweetest, the most decadent part of the tuna's belly. The pale pink fish glistens like an opal. I gasp. It's not that I haven't eaten unbelievable toro in my day. I've whined and dined in various parts of the world with guys of all types vying for my affections. But it's been a while. I've taken to scarfing down bean and cheese burritos from the Taco Bell drive through This fish looks more delectable than any I've been served. I feel glamorous, like I'm in a novel or a movie, sitting next to John Wayne or Clint Eastwood. I pick up my chopsticks. Jake watches me. I position the tools in my hands and reach them toward the fish. 
We're both aware of my every move. As I grasp the Toro with my chopsticks, I consider dipping it in the soy sauce but think better of it. The moment and the Toro are perfect. The second the Toro touches my tongue, I know I'm in for a ride. It's flavorful as truffles, soft as whipped butter melting in the warmth of my mouth. I let the whole piece drop onto my tongue, press my lips together, shut my eyes and moan. I disengage from my critical consciousness, of which I've been aware since I walked into the joint. Now, behind closed lids, with Toro disintegrating into the depths of my taste buds, I sail to a place of blissful meditation. I swallow and straighten the slouch my body has taken on while experiencing the Toro. Exquisite. I breathe. Jake looks mesmerized. I'm glad you like it, he whispers. I could watch you eat Toro every day for the rest of my life. His loaded remark sends a shocking sensation of craving through me, a little too close for comfort. I retreat into silence as we continue to eat. How old are you? Jake breaks the silence. Twenty-seven. How old are you? I ask, already wishing he were closer to my age. Fifty-eight, he says unabashedly. Rex is fifty-three, I blurt. Is that right? Jake states with an off-handed touch of annoyance. He glances at my barren ring finger. You got a boyfriend? My career is my boyfriend. I say haughtily, then laugh at myself. (laughs) In other words, no, I don't have a boyfriend. What about you, Jake? I have a recent ex, but I'm riding solo these days. I fidget with my chopsticks and change the subject, uncomfortable with the line of conversation. So what do you do, Jake? You're a songwriter and an actor, right? Is that what you do primarily these days? Act? I think back to the enamored FedEx guy. Christ, no, that's not what I do primarily. Sure, I act in movies here and there, when I'm asked, he says arrogantly. I've taken a few recurring roles in television, but I'm no actor. I'm a musician since the day I was born. Oh, right, sorry. I sip my water to cool my burning face and the insecurity bubbling in my gut. My mind races with questions. Should I know who he is? My lack of knowledge about the world of music has always felt like a hole in my life. Do I come off like a star fucker asking him about acting? I had gotten excited when I learned Jake was not only a songwriter but also an actor. Does he see me as a wannabe? He enunciated that word actor as if it were the plague. How can he speak so flippantly about something I would die to do professionally? I'm such an idiot for showing up clueless and unprepared. I should have done my research. Uh, I'm an actress. I stammer and my heart pounds. No. Jake feigns shock. I never would have guessed after your breakfast club monologue. Yeah, sorry about that. I get a little carried away sometimes. Never apologize for entertaining me, darling. I had pegged you as more of a writer from the conversation we had on the phone a few months back, from the computer at your feet, and also from the bit of info Rex filled me in on, he pauses. But I'm suspecting there's more to this story than I had imagined. I am a writer. I kick my laptop. I'm writing a novel now. I hesitate. 
Well, I mean, I'm swimming in it, if you know what I mean. I do know what you mean. What's your book about? It's a coming-of-age story about a girl striving to find comfort in the present moment by accepting her tragic past and letting go of future expectations in life and in love, I sigh. Jake tilts his head. Sounds like your girl is on the right path. So what's the problem? Several chapters in, I've just realized I have no story. He lets out a whooping laugh. Oh, yeah. I'd say that is a problem. I think I'm writing to deal with my father's death. I look down at my lap and fidget with my napkin. He died when I was five, and I'm just now exploring the impact it's had on me. I look to Jake. I don't know where it's heading, but I I know I have to get it out. I confide. Wow. That's heavy stuff. I have daddy issues, I say outright. In fact, that's the working title of my book, Daddy Issues. I give him an ironic smile. I just thought you should know. I'm not sure if that's a warning or an invitation. Jake grumbles and changes the subject. Hey, we're all fond of our own diary entries. It's nothing to be ashamed of, darling. But maybe you could allow your writing to take you elsewhere. Try getting off yourself for a while. He pauses. Sounds like you just haven't found the proper pen. The proper pen? My good friend Jim Harrison says all you need is the proper pen. He's made a great living writing novels. Maybe that's it, I brighten, as if Jake has handed me a key to the universe. I just need to find the proper pen. I think the writing itself is good. I pound my heart with my fist, and that I deal honestly with matters of the heart. I'm glad you said that. Jake says. I wrote a song called Matters of the Heart. He strikes a familiar but out-of-context chord with his song title. And I believe you do, he pounds at his heart. Deal honestly with matters of the heart. It's something I can pinpoint early in getting to know a person. I know you'll find your story, Cicely. That means a lot, Jake, I gush. I've always been a writer, and I love it. I do it as a means of survival, and... I know I shouldn't take it for granted, but then there's this burning desire in me to act, and it won't let go. I groan. I've put in the work as an actress. It just hasn't paid off yet. I bet you're good, Jake says. I was at dinner once with a friend who's a pretty big actor, Tom Hanks. He made a comment that struck me as profound. Acting is easy if you know how to do it. I bet you know how to do it, Cicely. Just keep doing it. Hope sweeps through me. Gosh, Jake, your words feel like heaven, I say. Holy fuck, he dines with Tom Hanks, I think. Jake beams. That's nice to hear. I adore acting, but sometimes it causes me more pain than pleasure. Ah, the very moment to take a step back and reevaluate, Jake replies. May I make a suggestion? Please do, I lean in. Explore what comes naturally. Master that and allow it to bring you success. Apply that success to that which you desire but doesn't come as easily. It takes patience, but in the end it's a less painful approach. It hits me like a brick of shimmering gold. I'm communicating with a successful artist who understands me for the first time. He's been there and done that. He lives in my dream world. I'm rehearsing for a play now, I share. It's called Hooters. You've got my attention, Jake says with a mischievous grin. Six weeks into rehearsal, my character, Cheryl, is taking over my life. 
I wag my eyebrows. She is a vixen and a troublemaker, that one. I like Cheryl already. Jake's interest encourages me, so I continue. I like her too. She's a significant role for me, but I need to be careful. She penetrates my soul and entices me to act out in ways I wouldn't. I love Cheryl already, Jake nods his head. Oh my god, I moan, savoring a bite of salmon. You have excellent taste, Jake. This is divine, I lick my lips. And so is Hooters. You must come see it. To seeing divine Hooters, Jake toasts, holding up a piece of salmon with his chopsticks and eyeballing my tits. He lays the salmon on his tongue and lets out a moan of his own. He slides down in his seat as I did after my first bite of Toro. Even better than usual, he says. It must be your presence, darling. His blatant flattery makes me blush, but already I can't get enough. Nato-san sets another plate in front of each of us. Ah, chef special, he says with a straight face as Jake nods and grumbles his humble appreciation. The chef special looks like a cross between fish eggs, brains, and intestines. Ladies first, Jake insists. Thanks, Jake, I say with a touch of sarcasm. As the slimy saltiness hits my taste buds, I smile so my face doesn't give away my disgust. Amazing, you've got to try this. Jake raises a glob to his lips and hesitates before swallowing it down whole. An impish expression takes over his face and our eyes meet, like we're sharing a secret. Nato-san stands by watching us. Mmm, Nato-san, you've outdone yourself. Jake bows his head. This is dynamite, my friend. I'm sure Jake is bullshitting. Nato-san's face breaks into his own impish grin. I figure even he knows the dish is disgusting, at least to us Americans, but he also knows Jake Easton is a gentleman who would never insult the Japanese culture, even if it means sacrificing a few taste buds. Ah, so glad you like it, Nato-san bows. I will call this one the Jake Easton. He backs away and turns his attention to another patron. So what'd you think of the Jake Easton? Jake asks. Even better than the Toro, I grab my water. His eyebrows shoot up. That good, huh? We understand each other already, I think, as Jake segues the conversation. So what lands you in the glamorous job of telemarketing? Shit, you got time? That story could take all day. Let's hear the shortened version. Let's just say I've made some shady decisions in pursuit of my goals. How do you mean shady? Well, I've been searching high and low for a job in the entertainment industry. I once had the jobs others would kill for, but I threw them away to make it work as an actress. I'm as broke as a joke, and I can't figure out if I'm scared of success, scared of rejection, or scared of failure. I am the queen of self-sabotage. My mind flashes on my disastrous exchange with Rex, and I cringe as I continue my rant. If it's not my pride getting in my way, it's my emotions. Like, when I get close to success, I get scared and ruin it for myself. I believe I'm a strong actress. I do. I believe I'm a talented actress. But I can't land an agent to save my life. Now I'm a telemarketer. The end. (sighs) I exhale and look to Jake. I'm lost, and I admit it. I don't know about that. You're an intelligent girl, he assesses. You were following your instincts, and I bet they're right on target. You quit those jobs because you didn't like them then, and you wouldn't like them now. You take life seriously because you know it's precious and you don't want to waste it in situations that make you miserable. You keep your emotions close to the surface where they're accessible, where they belong, because you are an artist. I'll give you a tip. You want to find an agent? Stop looking. Move forward. 
The agent will find you. And there ain't no good in questioning your past decisions. Let go of resentments. If you carry around anger, it'll eat you up inside, baby. Astonished by Jake's acumen, I relax and smile. Thanks, Jake. I feel better already. Like signs in the night, he says with his sexy drawl. Just let it go, darling. If you turn your head to look back at that sign by the side of the highway, you know you're sure to miss the next one. Like signs in the night, I repeat his poetic phrase. I like that. It has a certain ring to it, Jake agrees. Have you ever said that before? I ask, admiring how his words flow freely yet beg to be set in stone. I don't believe I have. Being around you makes me wish I had a pen in my hand, Jake Easton. That's the compliment of the day, darling. We're gonna have to get you one. He cleanses his palate with a slice of orange and signals Natos on for the check. I bite into my orange slice. I swear this orange tastes sweeter than normal. I agree. In the parking lot, Jake passes his ticket to the valet. Where's your car? He asks. I'm on the street. I point to my beat-up Lexus. No valets for me, pinching pennies and all. That's your Lexus? Yep, it's a hand-me-down from my grandparents. The way you talk prepared me to go driving around town with you in some hunk of junk. Trust me, it's like everything else in L.A. Good from afar, but far from good. Jake's expression tells me he's questioning my struggling artist bit. So what do you think about tomorrow? He asks. You gonna accompany me to my doctor's appointment? A red flag slaps me across the face, warning this meeting has already strayed from its intended purpose. No, I need to sit that one out. Even though the telemarketing job is lame, they're expecting me tomorrow. I should go. But Thursday and Friday, I'm all yours. He seems to like that. All right, my dear. I'll look forward to seeing you Thursday morning. Sounds good to me. I hold my hand out for Jake to shake. His face settles into a goofy grin as he shakes my hand and holds it a beat longer than customary. You're hired. He nods. Again. So are you. I wink and change my tone to one of sincerity. Thank you, Jake. More than I can say. I send a silent signal of gratitude to Rex for making good on his promise to help me find a job. This means a lot to me. As I float to my car, I sense that during the brief hour we spent together, Jake had tapped into a secreted space in which I keep my complex feelings about my father locked away. God, it feels good to communicate with him. A wave of assurance sweeps through me. Life is finally falling into place. It's an unfamiliar yet keen sensation. I can't shake the uncanny essence of destiny surrounding my meeting with Jake. I feel understood, even protected, vulnerable, yet consoled by his unexpected and captivating appearance in my life. Driving home, I realize Jake is older than my father would be had he lived. I push the thought out of my mind. But it remains. I have opened a jar of dangerous butterflies. Part of the embrace is in the knowing When it's time to let go You taught me all I need to know Still it kills me to let you go Piles are on that winding 